We turn this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, in a sense taking verse 50 there, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. The title is this, Getting Ready for Our New Home. Getting Ready for Our New Home. Often uh, the case, isn't it, there, that uh, if we're moving house, some of us have done that in the last few years or so, and um, you're getting ready for your new home, passing company with your, your old home and thinking about the new home and what that's going to be like, right? We have to think about, don't we, curtains and decor and painting, whatever else that we're going to do. But here in a more significant sense, um, getting ready for our new home, the believers, saints this morning, heaven, friends, heaven, getting ready for heaven. Am I? Are you? Or are we doing it sufficiently? Should we be thinking about it a little bit more? And uh, in a more serious sense, being getting ready for our new home. Well, there are lots of world events, aren't there, that uh, rightly take up our attention. Serious events, people dying, aren't they, in in Europe? Well, they've been dying in every place, any country you can name, sure. But wars that have reached... Europe, and we know about those, don't we, there, and the sadness and the misery, people dying. And yet we put everything into perspective, and this event puts things into perspective. We may be but a small company that meet here, and I guess throughout the Western world, probably largely speaking, they're fairly small companies of people compared to the wider population who meet to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But we we are here, and we believe it, and we preach it, and we sing it, and we will keep singing it. And it won't just be on Easter Sunday, because it isn't only on Easter Sunday that we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. But that's where we find ourselves today. And lots of people have lost their homes. Lots of people have seen their homes bombed been driven from their homes. Indeed, the plight of refugees didn't just start yesterday, did it? But uh, we've been seeing people streaming out of Iraq and Syria, leaving dangerous places, Christians who often don't get the help that they deserve or need to escape from countries where they're persecuted and oppressed. But their story does get told a little bit more by the media. media. I guess it does these days. Homes that are being lost countries, new countries, they're having to reach and start again. But all of it's put into perspective, finally, by this. Not to belittle, not to minimise any of the sufferings of people, changes and challenges they've had to meet with. But those who are believers, probably through their own distresses, can still affirm that, yes, beyond it, yes, beyond this life is the next life. Beyond it is a true and a lasting home why heaven itself embodies our body, which will match that new home above. First heading, then longing for heaven. Longing for heaven. Well, I'm assuming that we are. I give that uh, that heading there, but I assume that we are. Are we not longing for heaven? Well, sometimes we might think that it's a little unhelpful to think over much about heaven, that it will ruin us in our present state, 
that we'll not be much use here upon Earth if we're too taken up with the world to come, too much uh, focusing upon those things. Well, I don't think so at all. I think actually we're far more useful here on Earth if we got that right focus of our true home above very much in view, that we actually contribute more in this day of great hopelessness and great sadness. That's what atheism leaves you with, hopelessness and sadness. That's what secularism and materialism leave you with, leaves you with very, very little. And that if we have more and more got our feet planted, as it were, in in heaven, our hopes set there, our minds taken up with Christ and his glorious coming back from the dead, an empty tomb and folded grave clothes and angels proclaiming, and then he himself speaking to his disciples. If that is where we are, and that's our narrative, I think we've got more to contribute to this needy, needy age and generation. We have the news that is good news. We have the news that no other religion has, no other belief system has, no other philosophy has. We have it. And if we're not sharing it, if it's not doing something in us, then sad that is on us that we are found, I don't know, unable to communicate it, unwilling to speak it, finding it of no help to us personally. Well, friends, think about it the more because we're more used to people in this poor world here. And I guess, I, I, I think for myself, as we lived through the pandemic and we got to get a little bit of a nearer feel to where we are as a culture. What we have, what we don't have, it just made all that we have as Christians, our our hope, our inheritance, stand out all the more. That yes, the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places. Yes, we do have there at the right hand of God pleasures forevermore. And I think people thought they had it worked out, but the pandemic showed they hadn't. Thought that they had it all kind of neatly laid out ahead of them but it showed actually they hadn't and when it came to it they had nothing at all and as we perhaps survey the damage of previous generations and the wrong choices they made my generation the wrong choices that it has made very very interesting to look at a a study of uh, kind of opinions on 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 christian ethics the things that uh, traditionally had been believed, and our own generations here, our own society had believed. But then it changed, and people changed their opinions about things, about marriage, about uh, uh, homosexuality, and all the things which are exercising as much in our present generation. And it, and it was my generation. Mm. Give it away here. Well, I'm just a tad or two over 60, so I am. And that's our generation that flipped, that, that changed tack. And then left all of that. They thought they were doing the right thing, but they've left all of that damage, all of the debris of that for others to have to pick up. And my, they are. And as we've seen, perhaps, failure and decision-making by the political class and over many, many decades and living with the, the outcomes of that, when we've seen, perhaps, a, a lack of courage, lack of honesty and naivety, really, staggering naivety, I think, in review. That's uh, our political class. I'm kind of using quite broad terms there. Forgive me that. But our political class have made of all kinds of political persuasion, incredible naivety. And we live with the consequences of it. A sad world. I'm afraid we left for our children and our grandchildren to inherit. 
picking up there the tab for all the moral, spiritual failure, intellectual failure, political failure of past generations. So we long for heaven, friends. We long for heaven. Then we narrow it down to our own bodies. Did I just give my age away? Well, it tells you something there. And it'll tell you something about the state of my body. Probably you can say a bit more to your own case and situation. Letters in the post seem to come from the hospitals thick and thin my way and turn up here for this test and turn up there for that test. And Well, I won't weary with the detail where cameras go these days, but they've gone pretty much everywhere around my body. And they tell a, a pretty sad story in the main. They tell what we read here. Yes, uh, this is flesh and blood. And what's happening is there's corruption and there's mortality. And were we to cast our eyes a little further back in 1 Corinthians 15, let me read here um, other verses that tell us something about now, but tell us something about what's going to happen. So verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And certainly there, as it describes the present age and what the body is sown in, because Paul's been using an illustration of seed and how that varies and seed becomes something else. But yes, it's sown in corruption uh, and dishonor uh, and weakness. That's the present. That's us. Friends, uh, you don't have to be an older person to agree. Yes, that's us. We feel great, great weakness of of body. We feel great, great need and great burden. Our bodies just don't play ball with us, do they? And we could all of us there, not particularly recommending this there, but share some pretty embarrassing stories about our own bodies and how they just don't comply with what we we want and our hopes and what we wanted to do. And our body just didn't cooperate with that particular venture. That That is our present reality. And I could turn to in uh, 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. And Paul writing there of his own longing for heaven with a, a body that just doesn't, doesn't play ball. 2 Corinthians 5, just reading from verse 1, from we know, But if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. We are who are in this tent, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. The spirit within, that guarantee within, helps us to long for heaven and reminds us that this tent is, boy, it's temporary, is going to be replaced by something permanent. There's going to be an eternal habitation, heaven itself, where that body is going to fit in absolutely rightly, perfectly, that's the, the new normal, the proper normal. And that is where we are going. And we're longing to be properly clothed. We're not uh, properly clothed yet. This body that's sown in corruption and in weakness uh, is not the final and the finished article. And can't we say this? We know that for a fact too. But there we are groaning within, longing though 
for something beyond and something that we know is there because this book is telling us Christ's resurrection, is telling us that, and the Spirit of God who confirms all of these things is telling us within, witnessing to us that we are children of God, that we are part of this inheritance and urging us to close with that and to be more and more confirmed in that. We're on the move, friends. We are on the move. On the move towards a new home, new world above judgments that is to come, sure. But for the believer, no more we doubt thee. There he is, the risen conquering Lord. Yes, we fear. Yes, we wonder. Yes, we are as Christians prone to doubts. And the devil there can keep us in a deep state of perplexity, lacking great assurance. But if it's any comfort, if it's of any help, well, here's the record of scripture to cheer the soul, to raise the drooping spirits, and to show that in all of our moral and spiritual imperfection, in all of the fact that the judgment day there, well, indeed, what it could reveal about us, sad, sad story it would make of us as believers. And yet, even in the face of that, we have confidence and security in the Lord Jesus Christ who answers for the imperfections of all his people, including those here right before my eyes today, myself included. So here we are, we're longing for heaven. Second heading, Christ's resurrection is proof of our new home. You want the evidence that we're going to a new home? Well, here it is. It's him. And it's him as he is revealed to us. He shows us the way. He is the way. The way, the truth, and the life. He shows us how we reach heaven. He shows us what heaven will be like in advance by his own resurrection and the capacities, the whole freshness and newness of his body after the resurrection. Look at me, he would say, behold, I am alive forevermore. And though there are perhaps some unique features of how he is in the 40 days, he came in and went out amongst his disciples and taught them concerning the kingdom of God, that, that nevertheless is some something we can see, a supernaturalism here, well, that's us raised a spiritual body. We're going to have capacities too. And if we see him passing through walls, appearing, disappearing, which, as I say, may have some unique features of that particular period before he then ascended to his God and our God to his Father and our Father. But nevertheless, it shows that there's something a bit more here, there's something a bit different here. And the person that they knew when they were there with him on the boat in the storm, when they were walking around Galilee, when they were going across to the Decapolis or wherever they were. Now he's advanced beyond that. Yes, still the same person, sure. They recognize it in his voice. And they can see in his teaching or hear in his teaching. And they know, just this is the same person physically. Ah, oh, we see now. And yet there was a glory that is his post the resurrection which he's going to share with us. That's that's where it's heading towards. This new body, this new home, the evidence of its reality is in our Lord Jesus Christ himself and in his resurrection too. And oh, he came to his disciples, he ate with them, didn't he? Friendship and fellowship with them. It wasn't now that, now he's raised, he doesn't deal with us in our kind of still struggling humanity. 
Well, he may have come and mixed a bit of rebuke with his comfort to his apostles, but he was there to address their doubts and their fears. And Thomas most famously on that occasion, his doubts and fears very roundly addressed and very thoroughly addressed. And uh, he never forgot that. And the words are ringing still in our ears in John 20 to this very day. So it shows us there how now we can be ourselves very confident that there is a new home and a new body for us. The apostles were, risked their lives. Many of them there died on the mission field, if you like. They believed it and they had seen it for themselves. They'd seen him and they write it for us that we should believe it too. The dying thief was promised, wasn't he, today? You will be with me in paradise. Paradise, kind of, more a warm expression for what we call the intermediate state. So when we die, this side of the general resurrection, nevertheless, we're with Christ. And when we believe they're actually in some kind of body, some kind of abode in which we're able to worship him and serve him, but awaiting the fuller realization and demonstration of it when Christ returns. Foretaste of glory there, but more still to come. And don't think of it as a kind of disembodied existence, as though heaven is so ethereal that there's just a kind of constant uh, sort of praise that's offered, which sounds, if we're honest, there at times we can say, well, that sounds a bit repetitive. Is that is that all we do? Is that everything that heaven is? I don't know. It's a life for heavenly bodies. Bodies that on earth do things, well, heavenly bodies will do even more things and better things. Pure things, excellent things, exciting things, joyful things. The Lord has much prepared for us. And I can assure you of this, our praise won't be mindless and repetitive. It will be furnished with fresh discoveries that heaven will afford us. The glory of the sun, of everything we've been saved from, everything that we've been saved for. For heaven isn't stale and dull. Heaven is an adventure. And each day in heaven, if we can understand it as such, we'll have fresh discoveries, new things to do, new things to be about, expanding in who we are and our capacity to appreciate what he's done, is doing, and will do for us. So heaven is a place of surprises, of joy and of discovery, and all of it will focus upon the Son of God. We will see all of it is down to what he did done here in these special events that we remember particularly at Easter and our new song in heaven will gather in more and more of what we're still discovering and be refreshed in what we then offer up to God in the great worship experience that will be heaven itself. Third heading, failing to prepare for the move, failing to prepare for the move. Well, there's nothing worse, is there there? about uh, not getting it getting it right when you move, not adequate preparation. Then it's all of a rush and, oh, there's disasters on the day and stress levels, which are already high when you move house anyway, but they're absolutely sky high. Got the removal men there, hardly packed anything. You know the kinds of stories and removal men can tell you some stories indeed, just how unprepared people were for moving house. But as Christians, we can be unprepared as well. Not quite having parted company 
with this world in the way in which we should already be doing, already should be preparing. Psalm 45 and verses 10 to 11, speaking, if you will, here in this messianic psalm to the church. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. Leaving behind your father's house, forgetting your own people, but not totally, not absolutely, but in that sense in which being taken up with your new home, the king greatly desires your beauty, sees his people adorned in the righteousness of his son, and is drawn to that and says, these people are mine, and they will be with me in glory. So that's how we are to think of ourselves. The most extreme case, of course, is Lot's wife, who having left Sodom and Gomorrah, which you would have thought she'd been happy to leave there. But no, still something of her was there. She looks back, she becomes a pillar of salt, hankering still after the old life, not having forgotten there properly her father's house. And we can sometimes perhaps lose sight of heaven, perhaps lose sight of the fact that we are getting ready for our new home. Because in a way, here, we're trying to put everything right before we leave, which is a worthy aim, actually. It, it's, a, it's a good aim to have. But in this fallen world and with our fallen bodies, it doesn't always quite turn out as we might have hoped. I might look back. I look back. Look back upon the hopes that I might have had and did have and dreams and ambitions. Can't put that there in always a negative term. Ambitions, hopes for a better society, hopes to see the gospel prevailing, hopes to see my own generation responding to the glorious message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. When you've tasted and seen the love of Christ, well, there it is. That's that's it. (laughs) And you're so disappointed that others just don't see his glory and his wonder. We hope to put things in a better state than this, to see society less dominated by greed and and pride and ill-treatment of people, ill-treatment of women, ill-treatment of children. We'd hope to see more justice prevail and to see the weak protected, to see racism banished, to see persecution of Christians across the world ended, the threats and the intimidation against them and the horrors that make us bridal finished. But it's not. And the world goes on, sadly, in its way. And scripture told us that it would, that there would be wars, that there would be famines, that all men would hate us because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though we might have read it, we rather hope perhaps we would live, I don't know, to see revival, to see a change in the spiritual temperature and have people really turning to the Lord. And we sigh. And perhaps as we get nearer to the end of our earthly pilgrimage, we maybe sigh all the more that we hoped to be able to leave things in a better state than this. We hoped that our families would have a better future than this, that have more ahead of them than this. We hoped it for our children. We hoped it for our children's children. Church, very good at manufacturing false hope, very good at manufacturing false revivals. Any number of them happening probably today, no distance from us there. 
promising something, but which was a delusion. I know, because I've seen some of it. And those false experiences and false teachers teaching false things, well, it may cheer some for a while, but it doesn't bring lasting change. The church has tried to have a happy ever after story itself, tried to make heaven here on earth. And while she does it in her strength, she will always fail and always leave disappointment behind. And we have to accept there's much that we will have to leave that's unfinished, much for our children and our children's children. We'll have to leave unfinished. We'll have to leave not a world that's now in working order and churches in working order and everything now working out and the world's stage much more a comfortable place to be. We sigh and read the Bible more carefully and say, no, it was never going to be like that, was it? And that doesn't mean we just give up. It doesn't mean we just despair, throw up our hands and say, well, that's it. We'll just retreat and we'll just kind of look after ourselves and enjoy what we have in Christ. No, we'll still be out in the open air preaching. We'll still be telling people this great news. But we do it with realistic and sober expectation. And we do it with an open Bible. And sometimes because we're hoping to get more right in this world, that we're just still taken up with it, that we're stressed over it, we're distressed over it, and absorbed in it to the extent that we forget, actually, no. It is going to be unfinished business here when we leave. There's going to be much on our deathbeds that if we're right thinking, we'll look back and say, that didn't get put right. That never happened. That injustice never got put right. I was never able to to do all that I wanted to do. I'm sure as minister there, whenever that moment comes, if I have a deathbed to reflect upon, if I'm not suddenly taken. All the sermons I never preached, or if I preached them, I didn't preach particularly well. But all the texts and all the parables and all the wonderful illustrations that Scripture has that I never did justice to. And it will be unfinished business. So we always have to keep in perspective. Think of this world well, yes, the contribution we hope to make, but realistic. There is a fallen, fallen world. There is a devil, and he's real. And there are people hostile to the faith, and I guess many of them will stay hostile to their dying day. So don't fail to prepare for the move by just trying, I don't know, too hard, too much to get it right here, burning ourselves out, leaving ourselves weak, depressed, weary, ill because of that. Keep perspective. And final and very brief heading, remember what it's all about. Yeah, remember what it's all about. I should remind myself what it's all about when I wake up and the thought of preaching is not the first thought in my head or that open air that we're going out on. I'm not exactly the first there for it. Yes, when it is hard work and hard going, remember what it's all about. Take yourself back here to that empty tomb. Take yourself back to the wonder of those disciples, their amazement, the message of angels. Ah, remember their unbelief, their kind of, these are idle words that these women are speaking, which was the apostles' first kind of response. But then they went, and Peter and John went, and they saw for themselves, and then they believed, and then they saw there's something afoot here. Take yourself on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples and their dejected state. And then this stranger came alongside them. Ought not the Christ to have suffered and then enter into his glory? In the beginning there, didn't he open up all the scriptures concerning himself? 
And later they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? Remember what it's all about. And as we go forward from here, not forgetful of this world, not forgetful of its needs and still very minded to make all the contribution that we can. But remember that in the end, we're getting ready for a new home, a new destination. Our Lord's shown us what it's like. He's promised to prepare a place for us and take us to be where he is. Stands as good now as it stood when he first said it in the upper room, recorded in John 14. A real place with real peace, permanence, friendships which last forever, friendships that don't creak and we get disappointed. Oh, we let each other down, don't we? Not there, we don't. Walking with him, walking with each other. Oh, friends. We should long for it more, shouldn't we? We should desire it all the more. Well, here is scripture. We'll sing now another hymn to remind us of that fact as we open our hymn books to sing hymn number 239, 239. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son.